0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Burn Your Draft, an exploration of the Reed College senior thesis process and experience. I'm your host, Frank Tangerlini, and this week we'll be talking with Eli Eastman. While photons are not considered matter, measuring, predicting, and controlling photons matters a lot for the field of quantum optics. Today we will hear from Eli on his photon research. Tell me, introduce yourself. Tell me a little bit about yourself and the situation you're in right now.
1: Yeah, uh, my name's Eli Eastman. Um, I'm from Houston, Texas, the greatest city on earth. (laughs) I'm a senior physics major. I'm just kind of locked down at home in Portland. I live like 15 minutes from campus, so I was lucky to be able to stay here.
0: So what's your thesis topic?
1: I'm a physics major and I'm writing a thesis on official title is, let's see, what did I write the official title as? Joint Spectral Measurement of Spontaneous Parametric Down Conversion Source, which is a lot of words that probably don't mean anything to people listening to that. Basically, light is made of photons, right? Those are like atoms for light. And because Blue photons have more energy than red photons. Uh, We can take one blue photon and we can turn it into two red ones. Wow. (laughs) We do that using a special crystal called KDP or like potassium diphosphate, I think is what it is. And we want to know if we can control the spectra of the two red photons.
0: Where are you in your thesis process?
1: Uh, I'm just kind of writing at this point. I was i just starting to get good data in the lab, and then I got kicked out because of the executive order, so that kind of sucks. But I have some stuff to show, and so I'm just kind of trying to finish the writing at this point.
0: That's sad to hear, but also, I'm glad that you're able to have something from it.
1: Yeah, it it was, like, poorly timed, but the perfect poor timing, because it came just as we got kind of the first bit of data that we were looking for, so.
0: What was that bit of data?
1: so we get these two photons and we just we measure their spectrum which is the probability that they have a certain frequency and so we have a couple of those spectra
0: interesting how does the crystal work
1: so a crystal the the like the way that we think of a crystal is like a just like a block of atoms and they're organized like what what makes a crystal a crystal is that they're organized in a a specific geometric pattern that's why crystals always have these like really nice geometric shapes. And so we send light into the crystal and light is just an oscillating electric field. And so the electric field goes into the crystal and it's like vibrating the atoms up and down. And those vibrations of the atoms generate a new electric field that produces the red photons. So the atoms are going to vibrate at a different frequency based on how they're bonded together. And that causes that, that other frequency generates new Frequencies of light. Cool. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> so, no, it's a lot to process. It's
0: yeah. Uh, so where would you have headed with your thesis after, or where were you headed? I guess.
1: When, when once we take these measurements, we can learn certain things about our source. We can learn about like the nature of the photons that we're producing and the way the so so we're taking one photon and we're producing two. So so naturally, the two are going to be correlated in some way. And we're trying to remove some of those correlations. Um, and if we saw that those correlations were removed, we could look for a type of interference called hong hongu mandel interference, or people just call it HOM interference, um, that demonstrates that the photons are in this uh, thing called a pure state. Um, and basic, basically, it, when the photons are in a pure state, we know that they are governed purely by the realm of quantum physics and not like regular physics. And those photons can then be used for quantum computing or encryption or stuff like that.
0: What separates those two fields?
1: Uh, So like classical physics is everything you probably have learned. If you've taken an intro physics class or even the second year physics courses, like why, what, how does a ball fly through the air? What is the force on this thing when it's spinning around or things like that? And quantum physics um, is just the study of things as, as we go smaller and smaller in scale, the like rules of physics change the the laws of the universe change and um, so th- anything that's really small, like a single atom or a single photon or even small collections of atoms are governed by quantum physics, which is based much more in probability. Um, one of the fundamental pro- uh, postulates of quantum physics is that you can't know everything about a system. There's always going to be some uncertainty or error in your measurement. And so that that's why our spectrum, like normally you think of a spectrum of light as all the colors that a certain beam of light contains like white light.
0: Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. But, but with a single photon, it's only going to have one frequency. It can't have more than one frequency, but there's a certain probability distribution of what you're going to measure that frequency to be. Okay. So, so like normally you would say, oh, there's one photon, there's one frequency, but that's not true. Even if I generate two photons from the same source, exactly in the same way, they're going to have different frequencies because of the laws of quantum physics.
0: So your thesis was determining those frequencies.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, can we control the range of frequencies that we have access to and can we remove correlations between the two photons that we generate so that, like, say, if we know the frequency of one, we don't know what the frequency of the other would be.
0: Interesting. Why did you choose that topic?
1: Um, for I really like working in the lab. Um, and this was an experimental topic. Um, I didn't really want to write a theory thesis. And so like, this was one of the topics that was available to me to work in a lab. Um, I'm really interested in quantum physics just because it's a really hot field right now. And there's a lot of research going into like uh, how these things can be used kind of a hundred years ago. I think quantum physics was really weird and people didn't want to accept that it was going to be useful or it, it looked like a problem in physics. And now there's all these useful tools that are coming out of these principles. And it's, it's a really wide range of fields that you can go into. Um, so like we study quantum computing, but the experiment, um, that measured gravitational waves a couple years ago uses the same principles and many other experiments, you know, are using the same principles. So it's a pretty wide ranging field and just was going to open a lot of doors for me.
0: What is going to, is it still not going to?
1: Uh, no, no, it still is. <clears throat> okay. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> going to grad school next year. Um, I'm going to be working on applying next year. So I guess. Uh, nice. I don't really know like how any of that's going to play out. With this pandemic situation going on? Yeah,
0: that's a topic on a lot of people's minds. Right. Uh, so, what would you say is the outcome of your project now with the lack of a lab that you have? Has it turned anymore into like a theory based project?
1: Yeah, that's kind of like I've been like fleshing out my thesis with a lot of theory so that it's not kind of like, here's the measurement. We couldn't really do anything more than this, um, which is good, because I should know that anyway. Um, So I'm glad that this happened in a way because it kind of made me really concentrate on the theory. But we were able to measure a couple of these spectra and get some uncorrelated pairs of photons, which is good. That's what we looked to do. We couldn't exactly um, manipulate them and and show that we could produce different spectra in the way that we wanted to, um, which is too bad. But we were able to get one, which is awesome, um, and hopefully over the summer I'll be able to get the rest of them.
0: Who are you working on this with? Uh,
1: Mark Beck. He's uh, he came to read two years ago. Two years ago was his first year, um, but he actually taught at Reed in the '90s, also, um, and he's a really great advisor uh, because he tries to make sure all of his research is accessible to undergraduates. Um, And he does a lot of research about, like, how can we improve the quality of, like, undergraduate lab work so that these types of experiments are accessible to them.
0: Did you pick up on any ways of improving that?
1: I, when I was a junior, I did one of the labs that he wrote for undergraduates. And, and this method of generating photons, the thing I told you about where we take the blue light and it goes into the crystal and you get the red light out. It recently has become a more common method, but he kind of um, wrote this set of labs based on that technique that allows undergraduates to do quantum optics experiments. And just like, yeah, getting familiarity with that technique has been a, a good way to like learn how to make these experiments more cost-effective and accessible to students.
0: Have you been able to still have his help even within the quarantine situation?
1: Yeah, we, we have weekly meetings still on Zoom which has been good. He's like super responsive on email and stuff, which has been awesome, so.
0: So it's one of the questions on here is any unexpected challenges, but I think being sent home is a huge unexpected challenge. Did you find any other unexpected challenges while writing and doing the process?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest one is like, um, like I said, Mark has been a really helpful advisor. Um, And he's there to help me in the lab, but I have to learn to like do a lot of this stuff for the first time because it's, like I said, it's not like, you know, normal physics labs where you're like throwing a ball and measuring how far it goes or things like this. And, you know, as the case for most people, I think who are working on their thesis are learning a lot of new techniques. My lab, I was the only person working in it. And so I would ask him questions, but I kind of had to work with my hands to figure all these things out. Um. And there were also a lot of things that we were both new to. We got this new machine that counts the photons very accurately that we had to learn how to program. And
0: How did you time everything?
1: Uh, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's not exactly true. Um,
0: that's something I've heard from a lot of seniors and alumni, by the way.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I think I, at first I was a little like, oh, this is not good. I don't have a schedule or anything. And then I talked to some other people I knew, and especially in the physics department, it's like, Yeah, I just kind of think, what do I have to do next in the experiment and then figure out how to get it done? Um, Which was kind of what, like, first I had to assemble all the lenses and mirrors and optics for the light to shine through. And then I kind of, the next thing was get all the fiber optic cabling set up right. Um, And so the timing was just kind of like, all right, what has to get done in the experiment right now? And then just breaking it up into daily tasks. I, you know, I didn't really start writing anything until winter break. And even then it was kind of just like, all right, when you have time, you know, jot some stuff down.
0: Yeah. How do you work with the like chapter one and everything when it's a physics thesis?
1: So the one thing, not the one thing, but one of the things that I really don't like about the physics department is that there's no deadlines besides the day the thesis is due that's kind of up to your advisor to set. There's no departmental deadlines or anything. And like when it's up to your advisor to set, it's hard to like enforce really strict deadlines. I think, I mean, I don't really know of anyone in the physics department who had a like, oh my God, like this part of my thesis is due on this day or anything like that. And there's no like set out format. Everyone's thesis is written kind of differently. Even like the other people working with my advisor, I've, peeked at their thesis in the google drive and it's like laid out totally different than mine
0: how is yours laid out
1: so i have an introduction it just kind of has a little bit of background of like why the hell are we even doing this research and then i kind of go over what other people are doing in this field and how and then i just give a general outline for the thesis but then i have two big chapters which are the theory and the experimental methods the theory is exactly what it sounds like i just kind of walk through what is happening physically in the lab um, with a bunch of math and equations and stuff like that and kind of develop the math that allows us to make these measurements and then the experiment is like uh, the laser was this wavelength and the fiber is this brand of fiber and it's one kilometer long and this is this and that and kind of lay out all the details of how you would actually take this measurement
0: what skills do you think you acquired during? This process.
1: I am now very well versed in the field of quantum optics. It's kind of a really uh, niche skill set, but I'm really glad that I, you know, even though it's not the most applicable set of skills to work with, it's a field that I've wanted to go into, and it's kind of something I wouldn't have a chance to work with anywhere else, but like through this process, and so I'm really glad to like learn how to troubleshoot a laser and learn how to use all these different lab instruments. I had to learn how to do a lot of uh, programming with kind of state of the art equipment. Also a lot of like, what do you do when you just fucked up the thing you worked on? Can I curse?
0: Yeah, it's fine.
1: Okay. Um, what do you do when you just fucked up the thing you've been working on for two weeks and like suddenly all your data's gone and you don't know how to get the measurement anymore. And like, how do you just persevere and like keep working on that? Cause that's like a big thing that happens in experiment as you said all this time, Bessie, or, you know, putting something together and getting it to work um hey sorry my cat is biting me
0: what's your cat's name
1: sasha um she's really sweet but she's a kitten and she doesn't understand Uh how to bite Um, anyway um like it happens all the time that suddenly you just like turn the screw too hard and everything comes out of alignment and like the only thing you can do is just start over and it really sucks and you just kind of got to learn that like that's going to happen and one thing I don't like about the thesis is that, like, um, I feel like on a bigger research project, like something where you have a grant or are working on a PhD or something like that, um, there isn't a deadline, you know, like nothing is ever due. I mean, obviously you want to be quick. You want to be able to get out that paper or you don't want your grant money to run out or you want to finish your PhD, you know, because... You, They'll ask you to leave the program if you're not making progress, but like you know if you do something and you lose two weeks of work, like that sucks. you're gonna have to do two more weeks of work, but like there's no May first like looming over your head like shit, everything's gotta be done. Um,
0: Is this a project that you would return to if you have the time next year?
1: Yeah, I've already been talking to my advisor about um, coming into the lab over the summer, hopefully when the restrictions ease up and maybe next year just depending I mean this is going to become, this is a multi-year project. We're trying to set up something called quantum teleportation, which is not what it sounds like.
0: What is quantum teleportation?
1: (laughs) So say I had a collection of atoms that was just like, they didn't have any shape or form. And I had like a, a red ball. And I measured every atom in the red ball. And I sent that information to someone else. And they could reconstruct the red ball out of their atoms that were formless. That's kind of the idea.
0: Whoa! How do you have formless atoms?
1: Well, that's that's not exactly the that's not exactly what we're doing. So so what what we're doing is each photon that we work with has a specific qual. It's polar. We we use its polarization. It's polarized horizontally or it's polarized vertically. Sorry, the other way with my hands. Um, so it either wiggles back and forth as it travels through space this way or this way. Um, and in quantum physics, there's this idea called entanglement, where I can have two different photons and say if this one's vertical, this one's always also vertical. And if this one's horizontal, this one's always also horizontal. So And no matter how far apart they are, they're always the same. And they're, it happens instantaneously, where if I change mine to vertical, then you, the other one changes to vertical. So I could give one to you and you could go all the way across the universe and I could teleport to you the photon I have because yours is going to assume the exact same state no matter what state, you know, regardless of what state mine is in instantaneously.
0: That's interesting. What could that turn into? Like what kind of projects?
1: So we could I mean it's a it's a way to send information Um, It's a really secure way to send information because A, um, we can come up with perfect encryption, like a password that no one could ever guess. And B, you would actually know if someone had hacked into your communication channel and was listening because your measurements would no longer match mine perfectly anymore. That one, like if I measured up and suddenly you measured sideways, we'd instantly know that someone was listening into the channel and we could cut off the communication. So it's really secure communication it's a way to control, you know, like I can control your system that's in another lab on the other side of the country with my system. um, And it's just cool.
0: Yeah, no, all those sound like really cool ideas. How do you think that the thesis experience will inform your life outside of Reed?
1: Um, I mean, I think eventually I want to go to grad school for quantum physics field. I don't know if it's going to be optics. Um, I hope it is. But we'll see if that ends up actually happening or not um there's lots of fields of quantum physics and i'm interested in a number of them so um and i think like the really cool thing about physics is like there's all this like really crazy shit that's going on in front of your eyes all the time that like 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 sometimes I'm in class and like you're you're looking at these equations on the board that kind of just look like math, but then when you think about what's going on, you're like, really? Like all of that is happening. We we study things that are on the scale of femtoseconds, which is one over ten to the fifteenth. So it's really small. If if one femtosecond was one second, that's the same as thirty million years. Something that could happen in thirty million years, like happening all the time, right in front of us. You know, like the our time scale is so much longer than that. And it's happening all the time. It's just crazy the scales that, that these like weird processes happen on because you wouldn't expect that kind of order to exist at something that levels that small.
0: So the thesis process helps with grad school. How exactly?
1: I mean, basically what you do when you do your PhD in physics is a, a bigger version of this thesis. Um, I've been following someone's PhD dissertation very closely in doing this experiment because they're doing a process really similar to ours, and so being able to show them that like I did this project and this is the research I was able to do, and I also know how to do all this stuff in the lab is like really valuable to have to put on an application, and to also have like a document that's not like you know is it, like and here's how I can here's my writing skills. I had to do this oral defense, all this kind of stuff like that.
0: How are you going to do your oral defense this year? Is it going to be over Zoom?
1: Yeah, apparently it's going to be over Zoom. Uh, Me and my advisor have been talking about it because like normally there's a board and someone will ask a question and there will be some like math I have to explain or whatever and I can write on the board and stuff, but I don't have that now. And so like I will either maybe use giant post-it notes or...
0: I feel like it's hard to master.
1: Right, and my handwriting was really bad until I got into college, so I can barely write with, like, pen and paper, so I don't know if, uh, how I'm going to be able to do it with the trackpad and stuff. Well, we'll figure it out, you know. I think hopefully <laughs> everyone will be understanding if I just try to explain to them in words what I would normally be writing down.
0: I think everything about this situation forces people to be pretty understanding. Yeah. Thank you, Eli, for your time and for telling us about your thesis and the amount and kinds of work that went into it. Thank you for listening, and I hope you join us again to talk to more seniors about their thesis and better understand why you'd want to burn your draft. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced and engineered by me, Reed College student Frank Tangerlini. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from staff member Joe Janiger. Nate Martin, staff member and alumnus, is our project manager. Music by alumnus Jack Salvucci and podcast art by alumni Henry Gotchlik and Lillian Pham. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.